PRI Podcast. Welcome to this PRI Podcast, which is the first of a series on the ESG Credit Risk and Ratings Initiative, one of the PRI's flagship programs. My name is Carmen Nuzzo, and I'm the Head of Fixed Income at the PRI. This podcast is very special, first because the ESG and Credit Risk and Ratings Initiative celebrates its fourth birthday this year, and secondly, because it's being recorded at very challenging times as the world grapples with the COVID-19 spread. We have much to celebrate, but also lots of questions and concerns for the credit market. So the initiative was launched in May 2016 with the goal of developing a better understanding of how environmental, social, and governance issues can impact credit risk and to craft practical solutions for ESG factors to be considered transparently and systematically in the analysis. So the initiative was not uh, prescriptive at all, it's very aspirational, but these are the two main goals. And to achieve them, the PRI published a statement of commitment towards these two objectives. To date, the statement has been signed by 160 institutional investors, collectively managing around 30 trillions of dollars and 21 credit rating agencies including large global players, as well as smaller agencies that are specialized by regional products. You can find all the names of the organizations supporting the statement on the PRI dedicated webpage, www.unpri.org forward slash credit ratings, where you can also download a copy of the statement, which remains open to new signatories who want to get more engaged in this field and work with us. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Yasmina Sergini, Managing Director within the Corporate Finance Group and Moody's Investor Service, and William Bourne, Research Analyst at Brandywine Global Investment Management. Moody's Investor Service and Brandywine Global Investment Management sit both on the advisory committee that works with the PRI on this initiative. Welcome to you both. At the start of the initiative, what became very clear was that many ESG factors have traditionally been considered in credit risk analysis, but not labeled as such. Yasmina, can you name a few? Sure. Um, actually, uh, I think what's important to, to, to mention or to repeat is that environmental, social, and governance issues, well, they, they are part of many considerations which are uh, integrated into the credit analysis. And, and I think best is perhaps to, to give an example to illustrate the point. So if you take um, the 10 years or so to 2018, the credit quality of uh, the European unregulated utilities has deteriorated significantly. And we have actually estimated that it fell by approximately three notches on average. During that same period, the power markets uh, generally across Europe, they were impacted by a number of factors, carbon policies, technology, cost reductions uh, in renewables, and all of that has supported a strong growth uh, in renewable energy, lower power prices, generation margins. So when you look into all of these elements in our rating methodology for the sectors, they are taken into account in the credit analysis for each rated company in the sector. Now, having said that, the same considerations, they also illustrate carbon transition risk. And this is very much what we view as a key component of the environmental risk. So we have highlighted these issues as environmental, but the sector-specific rating methodology, well, that remains substantially unchanged. William, would you agree? Yes, absolutely. Um, 
we credit analysts have always taken ESG in, into account. Um, we just perhaps haven't been as explicit about singling it out. We particularly had a focus on governance. We fixed income analysts are a pretty negative looking bunch, so we've always focused on the downside. Uh, we've always, on the sort of periphery, included ENS, but now this provides a framework for us to structurally analyze both the E, the S, and the G using a new framework. We're able to look at new data sets that perhaps were available but weren't being quantified. For example, being able to look at board composition and diversity in a systematic and quantitative method, which in that allows us to have greater in-depth analysis and enhanced screening. And, and maybe just to add to what William is just saying, the rating approach uh, for ESG consideration, that, that hasn't changed. And, and also because the, the objective that we, um, we pursue as a credit rating agency is to incorporate all material credit considerations. And, and they, are, they include, but they're not limited to ESG issues. So we include material considerations into the ratings, and we try and take the most forward-looking view that visibility actually permits. Now, what has changed, and I think we have to recognize that, and we've, we've made some significant progress, is that, um, and, and William has mentioned it before, is to really become more systematic, that's number one, and more transparent in, in how we assess ESG factors. And that's really something which is very important for the investors, and I think that has been highlighted in, in many of the PRI's previous reports. On transparency, we actually now signpost our comments on ESG issues that are material to the credits in the press releases, in the credit opinion that we put out. And, and I think it's important to mention that ESMA, which is the European Securities and Markets Authority, has recently published guidelines which oblige EU credit rating agencies to meet new requirements uh, in relation to the disclosure of ESG considerations. So these new requirements by ESMA they apply from the 30th of March 2020, and they relate to the disclosure of ESG factors that were a key driver behind the change to a rating or to a rating outlook. So again, that, that, is, that is going to be also important in, in how we remain and, and, and even become more transparent over time. On being more systematic, maybe I'd highlight three areas where uh, Moody's has made some progress over the recent years. Number one, we have published a classification of ESG risks because it's important to actually define what is an ESG risk for, for the rating, for the credit analysis. Then we've also published heat maps for environmental and for social risks. And the heat maps actually calibrate the risks at the sector level across our global rated portfolio. And finally, and that's basically getting us to the next level, we have introduced some analytical tools to assess the governance risk and the carbon transition risk at the issuer level. And that's actually very important from an investor perspective. Thank you, Yasmin. I would encourage all listeners to visit the PRI dedicated webpage to this initiative to familiarize themselves with the progress that also other credit rating agencies have been making, but investors as well. We have published five reports altogether documenting the work that we've been doing through 20 roundtables in 15 different countries around the world. And we've also recently launched our new resource that tracks the progress that credit rating agencies make on a quarterly basis. The, Yasmina mentioned earlier the heat maps and the work that Moody's is doing on transition risks. I'm very glad that she did that because Actually, one of the challenges that we've discussed at length during the collaborative work that we've done in the past few years is how 
to be more forward-looking. And one of the challenges is the issue of time horizons because ESG considerations can vary significantly depending on the maturity of a bond. William, can you elaborate a little bit on this point? Because I think it's crucial. I completely agree. This is crucial in fixed income and a key difference between us and the bond market and the equity markets. Many of the ESG providers that we evaluate on a sort of constant basis look at ESG risk through an equity lens, that is, through the sort of medium to long term. What is crucial for us is to distinguish when we're looking at the difference between a three-year bond and a 30-year bond for an extraction company. At the end of the day, what we really care about is getting our principal and coupon payments. And most of the time in the companies we invest in, if the company is unable to refinance at the end, before the end of that bond period, we're not going to get that principal back. ESG enables us to have a framework to do this and so enables us to have greater certainty on the future demand for the commodity that the company may be extracting. From the, from the perspective um, of, of the rating agency, I would say that the objective uh, that we serve is really to, or that we pursue is to incorporate credit considerations which are material uh, to the analysis. And so the, again, as I said, they include ESG issues as far out as visibility permits. So that, again, that's perhaps easier said than done, because uh, many ESG considerations are challenging to assess for, and I would say perhaps two main reasons. Well, number one, and I think that is something that speaks to what William has mentioned before, number one, because environmental and social issues can often be diffused, and, and, they, and for some of them or many of them, they have very long or uncertain time horizons, and also because they can be affected by regulation and policy measures, uh, economic conditions, and also by some issuer-specific circumstances. I mean, a company has uh, a strategy to adapt or to mitigate the risks coming from these uh, environmental and social uh, considerations. So that's number one. And number two, the reporting. Uh, the reporting of ESG considerations remain a challenge currently. Now, despite these difficulties, and, and, and some of them are actually um, very important difficulties, but we're trying to improve the visibility of the analysis. Uh, I would say at least two examples. Uh, we and other credit rating agencies were exploring how to use new and enhanced data sources. At Moody's, we're exploring ways to use the data and the climate insights from our climate specialist affiliate 427 in how we analyze physical climate risk. And maybe another example, we have developed more sophisticated tools uh, which capture near and long-term risk horizons. So if you take uh, a carbon transition uh, assessment tool that we have developed and published last year, it looks into the relative carbon transition exposure for companies within a high-risk sector, meaning a, a, a usually a, a high-carbon emitting sector. So if we take the global automotive industry, the carbon transition scores, well, they will, they will express how well automakers are positioned in the transition to a low-carbon future. And the framework uses existing data as well as scenarios uh, from the International Energy Agency. Thank you. Yes, Minut. I, I mentioned earlier that we're recording this podcast at very challenging times with unprecedented uncertainty because we're in the midst of the coronavirus crisis. But, but in a way, this coronavirus spread and its implications are proving really like an acid test for this increased focus on ESG by investors, issuers, and credit rating agencies in recent years. Do you think it will be put on the back burner during the ongoing crisis? I'd be interested in the opinion of you both. Absolutely not. 
I feel that actually this is a defining moment for ESG. And I think there'll be a material difference between those who integrate ESG and the ones who just say they do on glossy brochures. When a bond has dropped 30, 40 points, which is a very real example in today's market, there are various factors we need to analyze. Is this bond mispriced? And if it is mispriced, how resilient is the company? Does it have a strong balance sheet? Is it resilient? Does it have strong governance? A company that has dropped 30, 40 points that we believe exhibits these traits is much more likely for us to pass our strict screening test than one that does not show these strong governance. I want to echo some of, of what William has just said on, on coronavirus, but, but starting by saying that from, from our perspective of the agency, we view the coronavirus outbreak in and of itself as a social risk, actually, under our ESG framework, given the substantial accreditations uh, on, on public health and safety. So clearly it fits within the social, let's say, the social taxonomy that we have, uh, that we have developed. Now, from an analytical perspective, the coronavirus outbreak it has caused major disruption in several countries. And so, as a consequence, we have seen a lot of pressure on the credit quality for many rated entities. And so, what we have been doing since the crisis has started is really looking at all the manifestations from the coronavirus outbreak on credit. And again, as I was saying earlier, it, it includes ESG well, by nature. Uh, it's a social uh, risk, but also because... It has caused issues uh, on, on demand uh, from a supply chain perspective and also from a liquidity standpoint. And so just to go back to what William was saying earlier, one of the key areas of focus of our conversations um, is relates to, to governance to some extent because liquidity falls under the way that a company manages its financial policies. And so I think... There's going to be, there's been a lot of takeaways already and, and there's going to be more uh, in the coming weeks and months in terms of how well prepared a company has been entering into the crisis, a discussion which we have permanently because we have forward-looking frameworks to assess liquidity and financial policies. But I think it is going to be, um, it has been and it's continued to be very interesting to see and differentiate between companies with a high level of preparedness, the way they manage their supply chain, the way that they manage their liquidity, and those companies which have been perhaps less um, prepared entering into the crisis, and some of them, for example, having served very large dividends in, in very recent times, those uh, which have been perhaps less prepared uh, managing their supply chain with less alternatives to source their products. So this is where, from my perspective, I suppose, or the perspective of the rating agency, uh, there are a number of ESG ramifications to this crisis, so definitely not put on the back burner. It's rather the opposite. Preparedness is really important, and I really would uh, hope that the listeners of this podcast if there are bondholders, would think of how much engagement they do with companies because engagement is not really part of the bondholder culture, but hopefully that would change in the future because assessing that preparedness and maintaining that dialogue with companies is absolutely crucial to gauge the good governance. So it's very, very important. So to conclude, because time is up, I mentioned earlier, Yasmina and William, that you are part of the advisory committee that works very closely with the PRI, so you've been even more actively involved than other signatories or supporters of the, of the initiative in the work that we've been doing. What, what would you say are the main benefits of joining the PRI initiative, and would you recommend listeners to join? 
I would, I would definitely, perhaps, William, if I may, I should start by saying that it's been a, a very constructive relationship and sometimes a bit challenging uh, as well. Just, just perhaps to name a few areas or, or areas of benefits. Well, number one and very important one, actually, we are engaging with investors which share our objective of promoting responsible investment. So this is very, very important and, and one of the key reasons why we are actually become a PRI signatory. Another one, actually, is that we have found a forum where we have received very frank and objective feedback uh, from investors, from the PRI, and this has helped us grow, actually, and, and better understand where and how we can do a better job. And lastly, perhaps I should mention that we have also been able to explain to the members of the PRI initiatives what our approach to ESG consideration is. And so we have shared progress over time, and we have also um, uh, shared all the analytical tools and, and development that we have made to our framework. And that was very important for us. Absolutely. It's um, also helped with our communication with the credit rating agencies where perhaps there was none before. Um, there's a perception from from us as investors that the whole process is now much more open and transparent. It's also helped with conversations with other stakeholders, both our investors and investment consultants. This is a two-way process, which is ongoing. To bring it back to Carmen's comments on engagement, we sort of feel as, as analysts who are constantly having meetings with management, we now see that almost every meeting with management has some focus on ESG, whereas even three years ago, it was very much a fringe conversation. It's a hugely evolving landscape, and we want to be at the forefront of helping shape how ESG is put into practice in credit, and this initiative helps us do that. Well, thank you so much both for your participation. We have achieved a lot as a group in a short time span, but we cannot be resting on our laurels, and we need to do more now to enable market players to make informed decisions and channel capital towards sustainable business models. The initiative has just started a new phase during which we would like to broaden the dialogue that we've initiated between investors and credit rating agencies on ESG topics also to debt issuers. We've already organized a practical workshop with four large French companies in Paris and we're planning more in other regions of the world. We also plan to increase the outreach to ESG vendors and investment consultants. So please visit www.umpri.org forward slash credit ratings for more information and updates or if you want to work with us. Our next podcast would be on the difference between incorporating ESG factors in credit ratings and ESG ratings. Until then, thank you for listening and goodbye. Thank you for listening to this PRI podcast. For more information on responsible investment, please visit us at unpri.org.